Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to study the prophet Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, chapter 33. This is the fourth and final chapter of a series of chapters that included many words of comfort, words of nechama, of comfort to the people about and predictions prophecies regarding the ultimate future, the, the one day in the future when the ingathering of the exiles will take place. This one <coughs> has some very interesting messages to tell us about the future time that are very consistent with some of the messages we have learned from the other prophets when they discussed the day of God, the day of ultimate justice, the day of ingathering of exiles. We start by meeting Yirmiyahu, the prophet, in the same unfortunate place at the same unfortunate time that the previous chapter was occurring. He was still stuck in the prison, in the prison yard, being held there by the king because he was saying prophecies that the city was going to fall to the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. And um, the king was, of course, upset by this as as the, Chald- the Babylonians and Chaldean army had surrounded the city, were building siege works outside the city in order to be prepared to prepare to breach the walls, and battles were taking place between the defenders of the city and uh, the attackers. During all this time, the prophet was locked up, and that is when this chapter occurs as well. So let's start with verse 1. <laughs> And there was a second word of God to Jeremiah, while he was still a captive, in the prison yard. And the word that God said to him was as follows. The reason why this is said the second time is because the first time was the story of the uh, sale of the field, which we read about in chapter 32. So this is the second um, vision that Jeremiah has in that same location. These next two verses are are somewhat uh, cryptic, I guess. Uh, the words are short, less descriptive, um, and a little bit more difficult to understand exactly what he's talking about. But let's read them and learn from them. Ko amar Adonai osa. So says God, the one who is doing this. Now, um, I'm translating this according to Rashi. Um, this is the translation that most commentaries uh, take. It's a, a short one word, osa, which means doing this. And it seems that God is simply pointing out that all of this that you see going on around you, both you being in the prison and this attack, and the siege, and the fall of Jerusalem, which is about to occur, is happening because I'm behind it all. Adonai Yotzer Osa. It is God that is creating this, Lahachina, in order to, and this is hard to translate, Lahachina, Lahachin sometimes means to prepare, it could also mean to establish or to set something in place so that it lasts. 
Adonai Shemo. The, the God is His name. Um, what God is trying to say with this verse is 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 hard to understand. It's a very this is a very choppy kind of language and and very cryptic. The way I see it is, is we've just read in the last chapter a much more flowery and much more descriptive version of the same thing where Jeremiah turns to God and says, you God are the creator of the universe and the sun and the moon and the stars and you have all the power and the might and then God answers back the same thing with also, yes, I am the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and so on, but I'm still allowing this to happen. Here we have... God saying it in kind of in shorthand. Rather than going through the whole explanation, he just says, yes, this is me. I'm doing this because I want to establish a fact that um, will last forever. What is this fact? And as we're going to see as this chapter develops, it's a fact of a relationship, of a covenant that goes two ways. I want to point out here, and, and I'm going to point out several times during this chapter, the, one of the probably the most important thing about the prophets in general, and that is is that the word prophet is an English word which translates the Hebrew word a navi. It's it's a it's probably one of the worst examples of translations in the history of translations of Hebrew. The reason why I say that is because in English the word prophet and prophecy seems to mean telling the future, foretelling events. The word, Hebrew word Navi does not mean foretelling future events at all. The Hebrew word Navi means a speaker, one who speaks, meaning one who speaks the word of God. A Navi says not what is going to happen, but what can happen. The purpose of the Navi speaking is not to make predictions and then magically we see Wow, he was able to tell the future. He must be speaking to God. The purpose of the Navi is to tell us that based on the behavior and actions of people today, this will be the inevitable result. Usually it's criticism, but it could also be the other way around, talking about a wonderful future that will happen when we establish justice and righteousness in this world. In other words, and it's a, the most famous, of course, we remember the prophet Jonah who predicted an event, but then it didn't happen because the people learned the lesson and repented. It's not the only example, but that's the most famous example. So the purpose of his words is not in order to predict the future, but to teach. That's why we call it in Hebrew, a Navi. We're going to see that very clearly in this chapter, and we're going to get this, um, and, and, and therefore God says, yes, I'm the one that does this in order to establish this, la forever. What is this? I contend that this is this relationship, this, relate, this reciprocal relationship, that when people do good, there will be good. When people do bad, there will be bad results. And that I am in control. And that sometimes we might not understand why things happen the way they happen, but it's coming from me. And therefore God says in verse 3 and continues, if you call out to me, I will answer you. This is in contrast, of course, to the famous verse before in, in chapter 7, verse 16, where God tells Jeremiah, don't even bother praying. Praying is not going to help. Here God is telling Jeremiah about the 
vision of the entire future, the vision of history, the vision of how things are going to work forever. And that is that, yes, I did tell you back then not to pray because it's a fait accompli. The people were so corrupt that the punishment was inevitable. There's just no, they just weren't listening. There was no one there to listen, if you remember what we studied back then and throughout. But, but no, in the future, though, after this punishment occurs, they will still, you and they, will. this relationship still exists. Pray to me. If you're faithful to me, I will answer to you. And I will tell you about things that are great and bitsuros. Bitsuros is 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 um are are are, are built up and established fortresses. It's things that are strong and absolute. Things that loyidatam, things that you can't even know about, could never have seen before. Key, because verse four. Ko amar Adonai Yisrael, so says God, the Lord of Israel. Al regarding the houses of the city, and regarding the palaces of the kings of Judah, hanitutim, which are now being destroyed, el hasololot v'el This could mean they are being destroyed by the siege works and by the swords of the enemies, but more likely it means that are now being taken apart in order to strengthen the defense of the city. They're taking apart the homes in order to strengthen the walls, in order to build ramps on the inside so that warriors can climb up and fight the enemy at the top of the walls and so on. The people of Yehuda on the inside, this is why I translated the last verse the way I did, those people, they're building or taking down their houses and building the uh, works in order to come and wage war against the Chaldeans that are attacking the city. And they are filling up their homes with during these battles. They are filling these buildings that they're taking down. Instead of having the, the raw materials of the buildings, they're filling them with the corpses of the dead soldiers. Those that I have struck down in my anger and my wrath. Because I have hidden my face from this city because of all of their evil. I'm not answering their prayers because their prayers are coming from... They're, they're not changing their ways. They're still bad. However, this is what you see in front of you now. However, I am... I am going to, <clears throat> I shall offer her cure and healing. And I will heal them. And I will reveal to them the crown or a teret, um, uh, which usually means crown. Uh, but here, I'll, it's something that I'm bestowing upon them. Shalom, peace, the emet, and truth. It is fascinating that in the middle of the of a war, in the middle of a battle, in the middle of all this fighting, and in the middle of all of this dramatic destruction and horror, God is talking about this wondrous future out there. And it, it kind of it kind of seems a little strange and out of place, but I I, I kind of think back to um 
stories that you hear from people that survived terrible suffering, such as even something so awful as the Holocaust, who sometimes did get strength to live through the worst horrors imaginable by imagining a future that is bright and better. So it's not really that out of place um, for Jeremiah to tell the people at this time that this is not going to be the end. There will be one day a future, something to look to look forward to. And I will bring back the, from captivity the people of Yehuda, of Judah, and the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and I will build them up just like I did before. And I will, I will purify them from all of their sins that they sinned against me. Forgive all of the sins that they sinned to me and that they rebelled against me. Presumably this is the process of the exile, the process that's happening now in front of their eyes. And the process and the entire long process of the exile will be the process of Tihartim, and then I will bring them back. In other words, they will that by then have suffered the, that pain. And then the new relationship after the sins are expunged, Bahaisali, and this is verse nine, she shall become for me the shame sason, the tilov, the a symbol of joy, praise, and glory, for all the nations of the world. The entire world will rejoice in this redemption. Asher Yishmu Eskalatova, because they're all going to hear about the goodness that I'm doing for them. And they will fear and tremble regarding all of the good and all of the peace. This is reminiscent of what we've studied so many times in, in, in the Prophet so far together. That fear and awe that happens on the day of judgment, which is a fear of the people that know that judgment's time has come, those that have been evil, those that have perpetrated suffering upon others, those people will perish, those people will suffer for their sins, and those that have been faithful, those that have been honest, those that have been good, those that have treated the poor properly, they will be take place and 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 partake of the joy and the glory and so on that's just been described. Verse ten, Ko Amar Adonai. So says God. Even though you're looking around you at this place right now and all you see is death and destruction, there will one day be heard. There will yet be heard. Asher Atem Omrim. This place that you are saying, Charevu. It is destroyed. There's no man, there's no animal, there's no nothing. In the cities of Judah and in the courtyards of Jerusalem, that are now um, deserted, uh, with no human being, no settlers, no animals even, nothing. But there will yet be heard in this place. Verse 11, the sounds of of rejoicing, the sounds of happiness, the sounds of, of a groom and a bride, the sounds of people saying, let's give thanks to God, the Lord of hosts. 
because God is good, for his kindness is forever. They will be bringing thanks to the house of God, because I will return the returnees to the land as they were in the beginning. So says God. Now, um, it is imperative, and we're going to see this several times in this chapter. Now we start understanding even more why in the midst of all this destruction, Jeremiah is talking about this dreamy future. Because the people are thinking, in their minds, the house of God is the representation of God. If the house of God, the temple, is being destroyed, the peop- in the people's minds, they think that their entire relationship with God is now destroyed. What the prophets are trying in Jeremiah is trying to bang into people's heads, so to speak, now, is that no, the relationship with God is dependent upon your actions, your behavior, and your relationship with Him. Turn to Him, and He will answer you. It's not dependent on this place. This place that's being destroyed it does not mean that it's all over. The people are thinking, oh no, now this relationship with our God is over. Now we can go, now we're going to have to go and worship other gods and, and join other peoples because our God, it's destroyed, is gone. Our relationship is destroyed and gone. Jeremiah is telling the people that no, it's not all over. So even when you do go into exile, even when this temple is destroyed, still turn towards him. St- at that time, your sins will be expunged by your turning towards God. And we're going to see this several times in this chapter. And let's keep reading. Verse 12. So says God. There still will yet be in this place, the place which is now which is destroyed with no people or animals and all its cities. There's no more shepherds uh, bringing their flocks and resting their flocks in the field. The cities all over the land, the cities in the mountains, the cities in the Shefela region, the cities in the south, where it's Binyamin in the lands of Benjamin, and the cities that are around Jerusalem and the cities of, the, of Judea. There will yet be a time when there will be so many sheep that the sheep will ha- the shepherds will have to constantly count to keep track of how many sheep they have. It will come. Don't think that it's all over. This is verse 14. There are days approaching. says, God and I will fulfill the good things that I have spoken to the people of Israel and regarding the people of the house of Judah. And what will be then? In that day in the future, and at that time, I will sprout forth for David a sprout of righteousness. Here is the crucial thing. God says, I will set the sprout in motion. I will plant it. I will plant it and bring a king, a leader, a leader who comes from the house of David who is, who is righteous who has tzedakah, who has righteousness in his heart. And then he will go ahead, he will do what is just and what is righteous in this land. Again, the themes that throughout all of the prophets are repeated over and over again. I will help you. I will bring that leader, but it will be up to that leader to do mishpatu tzedakah ba'aretz. 
And when he does that, because this is what the relationship between you and I is based on, then, by Omim Ahim, verse 16, then Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will be, will rest securely forever. And this, then, that world, which that, that person, the people of Israel, when they established, when they established justice and righteousness, then he, God, he, God, will call that city Adonai Tzidkenu. This is the city where God is, is our um, is the righteous one. The God will look at Jerusalem and say, God is the righteous one. What does that mean? God will look at the city because He will look at the city. He will see that His people have finally established justice, justice and righteousness. They finally learned the lesson that they needed to learn. That that is the basis. The basis is not the city of Jerusalem and its buildings and its temple, but the basis of the relationship is the tzedek and the mishpat, the justice and the righteousness that their people are doing. And then God himself will give Jerusalem a new name, which is God is the source of justice. Let's continue. Verse 17, Because God says, I am going to give you a guarantee from my end. Which is lo David Israel. There will not be cut off from David a man who's sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. One might wonder back, we've had several chapters ago where where God cursed <coughs> the, the evil king of Judah who went into um exile and said that he will never have a descendant come from him. Now we know. And over here, God says that there will be a descendant coming from David. And we know that Zerubbabel, who eventually sat, was the ruler later on in history of uh, Jerusalem uh, as it's tri- and during its reestablishment, was a descendant of his. And the rabbis teach us that the reason is because when he was in prison in Babylon, the king did did repent. He recognized his evil ways and realized that he was wrong. And because of that, the decree was changed. Remember, a navi, a prophet, many commentaries I've seen from other religious traditions see this as a contradiction. Judaism, the way we read these prophets, this is not a contradiction at all. This is exactly the point of the prophet. The point of the prophet is to teach people a lesson so that they should repent, so that they should then change the evil decrees of the future. So therefore God says, So says God, I will not cut off from David a man sitting, a descendant of David sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. And I also I will not cut off the families of the Levites and the priests, even though now, as we've seen so through in the previous chapters, the leadership has become so corrupt. But I am not going to cut them off. They might, but if they themselves, I will be at Smiat David, I will plant the plant, but they will have to continue in the right way. The, I will not cut off, cut off the families of the Levites and the priests 
who now bring the sacrifices and the incense and the, uh, the meal flower offerings uh, to me for all days because I will make sure that the ability for this redemption will always be there if the people turn around and do what they're supposed to. Verse 19, This is God still continuing to speak to Jeremiah. This is how it works. And I've been emphasizing this point the whole time. And now God says it very, very clearly what the meaning of this covenant is. It's a two-way street. If, if in any way it was possible that the... Um, that the you could break my agreement with the daytime and the nighttime, which obviously is impossible. We can't change nature. And if you could somehow make it happen, that daytime and nighttime don't come when they're supposed to, if that was possible, then it would also be possible. Then it's also possible to break my covenant with King David. I will miyot lo bein molech kiso that his descendants will be sitting on his throne via talavim akohanim mishartoi and the Levites and the priests that serve me. This is my my covenant. It is my covenant, and the purpose of this covenant is that he should bring the justice and righteousness that I've just talked about. I will always stand ready to do that as long as you always stand ready to do your part. Just like it's impossible to count the stars of the sky and it's impossible to count, measure the sands of the sea. So I will, I will increase in number the descendants of my servant David and the Levites that serve me. I am not going to break that. However, what are the people thinking? The people are thinking that now that this building is destroyed, it's all over, but they're not getting the point. Verse 24, what these people are saying. Those two families, the, the priestly families and the king fam, kingly families, God chose them and he's throwing them out. So the same thing he's doing with this entire nation. And my nation, I am I am now uh, hating them, despising them, scorning them. They're no longer my nation. But no, this is not true. So says God, that is not the truth. If not... Um, if I have, if not for the covenant that I have with the day and the night, the then then the and if I did not establish the laws of heavens and earth, or the laws of nature, the laws of science, then Gamzera Yaakov David Avdi Hamas, then I would also throw out the children of Jacob, and and the um and the descendants of my servant David, to take from his children away the privilege of ruling over the, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, in other words, just like I made the heavens and the earth and the laws of nature, I have established the special mission of the Jewish people and the kings of the people that are supposed to do their part. But remember, the point being that it's a reciprocal relationship. I will never break, fail my part, and they have to do their part. 
I am punishing them now because of what they have been doing and how they have been acting. And I will reward them later when they turn back to me and when they pray to me. Like God started off this chapter by saying, if you recall, right in the beginning, the beginning of these words, God made the point. And that was, Call out to me and I will answer you. And just like he said, I will be at Smiach, I will plant the plant of Tzemach Tzedakah, the plant of righteousness. However, he, the king, the leaders of the people, and of course the people themselves, Mishpatut Tzedakah will then do justice and righteousness in the land. Thank you so much for studying Jeremiah 33 together. Looking forward to studying the next chapter 34. This concludes the fourth chapter of Nechama, of Comfort. We're going to change pace a bit as we start studying, change chapter 34 together. Thank you.